at the judgment, everything that you have ever done, everything that you have ever said, everything you have ever thought, every motive of your heart has been recorded in the annals of these books. And these books will be open. Do you remember the worst 15 minutes of your life? Do you remember the wickedest thing you've ever done? The deceit and the selfishness and the violence and the hatred? The stuff that you would like to forget? That's been recorded and it will be open. What you have done will be opened at the judgment seat of Christ. That's why there's a hell. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I'm glad that you've joined us here today. Well, it's a sobering topic, the reality of hell. But according to God's Word, each and every person will face some sort of judgment that will determine the place of their eternal destination. Some are headed for heaven and some for hell. Today, Pastor Trent concludes his message, Be Bold About the Certainty of Judgment. We'll discover what hell is like, why there's a hell, and who is going there. Here's Pastor Trent. Hell is a place of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 18, verse 9 said this, It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Some people like to think about Jesus as being this soft, compassionate, merciful, loving person, which he certainly was. But we forget that Jesus is the one in the scripture who talked about hell the most. And Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And he identified hell as a place of fire. Again, in Matthew chapter 13, showing that there will be a judgment, he said some will be thrown into the fiery furnace. We know that the flames of hell are different than the flames of fire that we experience here because we think of fire here as something that consumes. We think of fire here as something that gives light. But we read in Scripture that hell is a place where we will never be consumed. And so are the flames of hell literal? It's quite possible that the flames and the fire that we read about here is actually allegorical, symbolic, for something that is infinitely worse than the fire that we think of here. But hell is a place of fire. Hell is a place of conscious torment. In Luke chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus tells a story about a rich man who died. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes as he was in torment, Luke 16, 23. He was actually aware of where he was and what was going on. And actually, at some sense, he had a knowledge of what was taking place in heaven. And he regretted decisions and choices that he had made in his life. And he thought about his family members that needed to be warned of what was happening here in hell. And so this man was conscious of what was going on. And he was in eternal torment. 
Hell is a place of weeping and pain. In Matthew chapter 13, again, Jesus speaking about a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be tears in hell. Gnashing of teeth. What is that? That's gritting your teeth. You ever gone to the gym, seen people working out when they are in pain? What are they doing? Physical exertion results in gritting of teeth, gnashing of teeth, and that's what is going on with people in hell. Hell is a place of darkness. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says, For them, speaking of false teachers leading people into hell, for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. And so this is not a place where there's partying going on with disco lights. This is a place of isolation and darkness and doom. Hell is a place of destruction. Romans chapter 9, verse 22 talks about how God has endured with much patience these vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. It's a place where you will be destroyed over eternity. And then hell is a place that is eternal. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, again, Jesus speaking. He says, then he will say to those on his left, those who are unredeemed, those who don't believe, he says, depart from me. So what is hell? It is departure from God for eternity. Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. What does the word eternal mean? Do you believe in eternal life? It means never ending. And so we rejoice in the fact that there is the hope of eternal, never-ending life with God. And Jesus actually speaks about that in the verse previous, about how those on his right will enter into an eternal life with God. And yet somehow, people want to change the word eternal in the next verse into thinking it is something less than never-ending. This is a theory called annihilationism, that somehow hell is a place that people go and they're just kind of wished out of existence. And yet Jesus talks about it being a place where there is eternal fire. Hell is eternal. And then finally, hell is more populated than heaven, sadly. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. The, the, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Mark it down. Most people will live and die and go to hell. Only a few will surrender to the Lordship of Christ, embrace the forgiveness that is theirs, and make their way into heaven. Hell is a place that is more populated than heaven. Here's the third question. Why is there a hell? We see that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. It says this, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were 
judged each one according to, note this, what they had done. What was written in these books? What was in these books? Let me tell you what's in these books. At the judgment, everything that you have ever done, everything that you have ever said, everything you have ever thought, every motive of your heart has been recorded in the annals of these books. And these books will be open. Do you remember the worst 15 minutes of your life? Do you remember the wickedest thing you've ever done? The deceit and the selfishness and the violence and the hatred? The stuff that you would like to forget? That's been recorded and it will be opened. What you have done will be opened at the judgment seat of Christ. That's why there's a hell. You say, but I I just really can't conceive of that. Listen, it's because our finite minds cannot conceive of the infinite holiness and justice of God. What we have done is summarized in a little three-letter word called sin. Have you heard of this concept? Whatever happened to sin? We want to think of sin as a mistake or a personality flaw or a weakness, or I wouldn't be this way if I was born in a different place, had different parents. We like to excuse, justify, rationalize, and blame other people for our sin, but there will be no excuse. It's recorded. What is sin? Sin is an infinitely rebellious thing to God, and it deserves infinite judgment. You say, well, I can't conceive of that. It's because you don't understand the infinite holiness of God. Here's the way that we summarize that. Infinite love rejected demands infinite justice. The reality is this. There is consequence for what's written in these books. There will be a payday someday for the worst 15 minutes of your life. And you will not escape it. The reality is this. Sin burns. And you know that. Has someone else's sin ever burned you? And have you longed for the day that what they did to you will one day burn them the way it burned you? You see, that's a sense of justice. It's a finite sense of justice stamped in your soul that says, you know what? That person ought to pay for what they did. And yet, rarely do we turn the mirror on ourselves and realize what I have done to burn others and what I have done to burn God I should pay. We don't think of those terms. But sin burns, and and you know that. I, I, I could call on several of you right now. Would you just please stand and tell me how your sin has actually created negative consequences in your life? How many of you would be able to do that? I will not call on you, but how many of you say, you know what, I was an idiot in college. I was an idiot in my first marriage. I was an idiot when I was a teenager, and I did things that I am still paying the consequences for. What you're saying is you have scars from the burn of sin. 
You know that. Sin burns now. My son, Zach, when he was one years old, he was crawling across the living room floor. We had one of those steam vaporizers on the floor, and he was enamored by the steam coming out of this thing. Have you realized they don't make steam vaporizers anymore? Do you know why? Because one-year-old children have a tendency to crawl up on the steam vaporizer and put their hand and burn their hand. To, de- to this day, as an 18-year-old young man, my son has scars from crawling up and being burned. Some of you have scars like that. So do you know what hell is? Hell is the place where those who have refused to run to God for the healing that sin sin has burned them for, it's a place where God says, if you'll not come to me for healing, if you'll not come to me, then you will experience the full force of the burn of sin. Have at it. Because infinite love rejected demands infinite justice. Because what is written in these books is your sin. You say, I just, I don't know how to explain that. The only way I know how to explain it is this, okay? When about, I don't know, um, I remember Brooke, my oldest daughter, and Zach, my, my son, they're a year apart. I remember this day when uh, Brooke and Zach were four and three years old. Okay, We were traveling in life action, which meant we went to a different church basically every week. And one of my responsibilities is I was teaching these people in the church a parenting seminar. For six hours on a Saturday, we were going to teach parenting principles. Now, there is something intrinsically dangerous in doing that when you are the father of a four-year-old and a three-year-old. And they're actually in the vicinity where the people can actually observe the four-year-old and the three-year-old that is the offspring of this father. So here I am for six hours doing my best to teach parenting principles, how your children can obey everything you say, every time you say it, with a happy heart. How many of you would be interested in that seminar, right? <laughs> right. So there I am, I'm trying to teach them all these biblical principles, and the, uh, the perception is that I am a good, good father, right? And, and so I remember at the end of the day, Long day, we walked out into the church parking lot, finished with the day, and all the people exited the the church, like, you know, a hundred people out into the the parking lot to get in their cars, only to find my four-year-old daughter and my three-year-old son in the gravel parking lot. The church had just been uh, laid down new aggregate in the parking lot, not just gravel, but these big stones, these big white chalky stones. Someone in the church had been kind enough to loan our family during that uh, week that we were there a car to drive. It was a brand new royal blue Buick. And we had been driving the car throughout the week, and, and I had warned my children, please don't throw up in the car. Three, don't even breathe on the car, okay? We need to give the gracious, generous, loving person that's allowing us to use this car, their car, in good shape. So when we walked out of the seminar, all of the people are observing four-year-old Brooke, three-year-old Zach, picking up stones and launching them through the air only to watch the stones land on the hood of the brand-new blue Buick. And people realized, I don't think this guy knows what he's talking about (laughs) as a parent. Do you know what Brooke and Zach were doing? They were completely invalidating 
the truth that I had just delivered. People were not going to believe me because of the actions of them. Do you know why there's a hell? Because our actions are causing people not to believe that he's a good, good father. So I walked up to my children, who are worthy of hell at this point, (laughs) and I've got options, right? I can look at them and say, you have no idea what you're doing. You're causing such incredible damage to this vehicle. This person has been so gracious to give it to you. You are abusing the grace and the love and the generosity of this person. And you are not only that, but you're invalidating everything that your father just taught to these people. People are not going to believe because of your actions. And I could have walked up to him and was like, that's at least $1,000 worth of damage. Pay up. You know, they have no ability to pay, do they? They have no resources from which to repair the damage that they've caused by their behavior. So I've got one of two options. Now, if I exercise religion upon them, this is what I could do. You're going to work it off. I know you have no ability to, but you're getting jobs. And the first $1,000 that you make is going to repair the damage. That's religion. And that's what most people think they have to do to escape hell. They have to pay off what's written in the books. They need some other books of the good stuff that's been written. And somehow if we can have the books of the good stuff outweigh the books of the bad stuff, then somehow God's going to get us... That's not it because it doesn't erase what's in the books. That's religion. But here's what a good, good father does. He looks at them and says, your sin has incredible consequences. You have caused irreparable damage from which you can never recover. But out of my own resources, I am going to pay the debt that you owe. Not because you are good, but because your father's good. That is the offer of infinite love and grace that God gives to those who have sinned against him in ways unimaginable to us. We are like three-year-old kids, and every time we sin, every bad attitude, every lustful thought, every deceitful thing that we do to cover our sin is an incalculable, rebellious act against the holiness of God. That's why there's a hell for people that reject the offer and turn to religion to try to pay their debt. Do you understand? Everyone who goes to hell chooses it. We have this idea in our head that people in hell are down there just remorseful and regretful and they're thinking about the times they were in a church service like this and they should have come forward, they should have given their lives to Christ and and they're regretful. Do you know that that scene is nowhere in Scripture? Nowhere in Scripture do we see that anybody in hell is repentant. People in hell are rebellious to the end. And people in hell are people that have said to God and continue to say to God, leave me alone. And that's exactly what God does with them in hell. He leaves them alone. There are people who want to maintain their sovereignty. 
People that don't want to bow. People that they want to act like God and expect everybody else to worship them and bow to their ideas. People in hell have chosen it. C.S. Lewis has said it this way. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those to whom, those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Because we want our own will rather than God's will. And so if your will is to live as sovereign, if your will is to play God, if your will is to do your own thing, if your will is to enjoy the pleasures of sin now and not repent, not turn, then God says, sin will burn and it will burn you forever. Here's the last question. Who is going to hell? Probably the most important question. Who's going to hell? If you're a smart person at this point, you're asking the question, am I going to hell. And if so, how can we change that destination? Look back at the scripture. It says here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The simple answer to the question, who's going to hell? It's simply this, everyone whose name is not found in the book of life. So what is this book? And what's written in it? And how can I know if my name is in there? You can know. You don't have to hope. You don't have to wonder. You can know if your name is in here. How can I know? It's simply this. You can know your name is in here if you have repented of sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone who will not repent is going to hell. I want you to see this verse in Revelation chapter 3, just a few chapters uh, prior to chapter 20. It says, remember then, Jesus is speaking, remember then that what you received and heard, keep it and repent You've heard the truth this morning. You've heard the truth before. This is probably not the first time that you've heard about heaven and hell and the offer of salvation through the grace of Jesus Christ. But have you kept it? And have you repented in response to what you've heard? The one who conquers will be clothed thus with white garments. What, what in the world? It's like, it's like, I don't even own anything white. And if I did, I wouldn't wear it because we're past Labor Day now. And it's like, what, 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 what is, what's the white garment? Do you understand that your garments, what you have done, has caused you to be stained with sin? And the picture here is that of a wedding. In ancient times, the father of the groom would hand out white wedding garments to everyone who attended the wedding. And the symbolism here is the wedding that one day will take place, the coronation, the ceremony of Jesus as the bridegroom who will enter into permanent presence and covenant relationship at the wedding feast of all those who are... who 
whose names are written in the book of life. And our garments have to be changed. We have to exchange that which has been stained by sin for that which only God gives, white garments. And he said, those coverings, those white garments that have covered your sin is what's required for you to be in the presence of God without being incinerated. He says, if that is true, if you have repented and the stain of your sin has been covered by the white, clean garments, he says, I will never blot your name out of the book of life. And because your name's in there, Jesus says, in the judgment, in the courtroom of God, before the throne, notice what he says, I will confess your name before my father and before his angels in the courtroom of God. Your only hope of heaven is that you will be judged not by what's written in the books, but that your name is found in the book of life. How can I know my name's in there? Have you repented of sin? Do you understand The scripture says that the Lord is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all would come to, here's the word, repentance. It's the only way you can know that your name is in the book. Is your name in the book? Do you have absolute confidence if you died in the next second, you would be with Jesus Christ in heaven? Do you know it? You say, well, now that I've heard this message, I think I'll be there. No, no, it's not hearing the message. It's what you do in response to what you've heard. Have you kept it? Have you repented? What does it mean to repent? It means to turn. The direction of your life has changed. Has there ever been a moment in response to the holiness of God, in response to the certainty of judgment, that you have cast your hope of heaven not on religion, not on your family, not on your money, not on your good performance, not on your good behavior, but you've cast your hope of heaven upon what Christ has done for you. What has Christ done for you? Listen, do you know what was happening on the cross? Jesus went through hell on the cross so you wouldn't have to. That's the hope that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God so the wrath of God would be diverted from you and you could have the white garments of forgiveness and grace and love even though you deserve the infinite justice of God. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as the only means for their forgiveness and salvation are assured of an eternity in heaven with God. I hope you made this choice. It's the most important one you'll ever make. Well, thanks for being with us. Today's message concludes the Be Bold series. And if you missed any of the messages in this series, you can find it and other sermons by Pastor Trent by clicking on the teaching tab when you visit harvestgranger.org. And speaking of heaven, join us next week as Pastor Trent teaches us just what it means to be a kingdom citizen. You'll be glad you did.
And if you're looking for a church that boldly proclaims the truth of God's word each week, we invite you to join us at Harvest for one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of University Park Mall in Granger, Indiana. Or visit our extension campus in St. Joseph, Michigan. We meet at the YMCA at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Harvestgranger.org.